iShares and S&P Dow Jones Indices are proud to support the Wealth Management Edge podcast and financial advisors. With more than 1,250 products worldwide, iShares is dedicated to empowering millions of people to make their money work for them. Visit www.ishares.com to learn more. S&P Dow Jones Indices is the largest global resource for essential index-based concepts, data, and research, and home to iconic financial market indicators such as the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average iShares and S&P Dow Jones Industries are unaffiliated entities. Welcome to the Wealth Management Edge podcast. This is Mark Bruna, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. And we are incredibly excited for our topic here today, where we will be looking at the fixed income markets and offering a mid-year update and outlook. I could not think of a better person to talk to this than our guest, Nick Godick, who's the head of fixed income tradables at S&P Dow Jones Indices. Nick, thank you very much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Hey, Mark. Yeah, great to be here. Excited to talk with you and and uh, everybody listening. Yeah, we have a lot of ground to cover, but before we do, I know our audience is obviously familiar with S&P Dow Jones Indices, but if you wouldn't mind, Nick, maybe you can give a little bit of background on your role and your experience in the fixed income audience market for our audience, please. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so I'm currently at S&P Dow Jones Indices. I look after our fixed income tradables business, which really focuses on the development of tradable ecosystems linked to, to fixed income. So in addition to ETFs, this includes different sorts of, of swaps, uh, OTC swaps, both standardized and non-standardized, um, as well as uh, futures which is really an emerging way to to trade fixed income. It's uh, a lot of ground that you cover, and right? I'm not sure how you stay up to date on everything, uh, but I'm really looking forward to getting some of your specific thoughts on how things have developed this year. And you know, most importantly for our audience, you know, what's ahead in the fixed income markets? Uh, for better or for worse, it's been a pretty interesting stretch over the last, it's called 12 to 18 months. Um, but now that we're right at the midpoint of 2023, maybe we can just take a look back right, at how bond markets have performed this year relative to expectations. And more specifically, Nick, where have you seen some of the most significant and cha- challenges and opportunities in the bond market year to date? Yeah, the, the, thanks for that. So we know that 2022 was just an incredibly challenging year where the overall U.S. dollar fixed income market declined nearly 14%. And that's kind of been been reversing so far in 2023. At the, the midpoint, um, the IBOX dollar overall index, which um, is an index that measures the um, broad investment grade US dollar market, including treasuries, quasi-sovereigns, um, collateralized and corporate bond um, debt is up 2.5% year to date. And that performance has really been driven by a few factors, largely higher yields to start the the year um, on the back of a rough 2022. Um, And then also a decline in inflation expectations and um, a fairly uh, strong economy. Um, In in terms of where we've seen the greatest outperformance, it's largely been a reversion of 2022. Um, Investors who are positioned further out along the curve um, so longer maturity bonds performed best. And that's simply a, a kind of mirroring the fact that long duration in 2022 across the Fed's 
seven rate hikes, which is the most that they'd kind of pursued in a number of years, meant that really really those with exposure to the long end of the curve suffered. So as, as an example, in 2021, uh, bonds maturing f- 15 years or more had a nearly 30% loss, whereas uh, year-to-date at the midpoint of 2023, bonds with 15 years or greater to maturity returned 4.6%, so approaching double just the, the overall dollar, dollar IG market. Um, it's uh it's amazing to see almost a total 180 like that right over uh such a short period of time and i know you know these have been a remarkable market conditions and it's always hard to predict what's ahead but how much of that are you expecting to continue across the second half of 2023 and if not where might you expect to see some you know, new challenges and new opportunities yeah so so i think uh that Last week, the Fed hit pause on their their um, rate hikes. Um, so it looks like the the Fed is taking a bit more of a conservative approach, and that's kind of right, rightfully so. Inflation expectations have been coming coming down. There, we're still a ways from the two percent target, but it's certainly a much better position than we were a year ago. So mm-hmm. geopolitical tensions remain um, a, a concern. Um, I know earlier in uh, in the year there was some stress in the the banking sector with SVB and then Credit Suisse writing down their cocoa uh, securities, for instance. But it's interesting to note that um, across the board, across sectors and and markets, performance is strongly in the in the black. So I think with mm-hmm. some of that stress, the financial sector. Uh, so looking at the IBOX dollar liquid investment investment grade financials index. Um, it was the second worst performing um, sector, uh, but it still returned at 3.2% year to date. Um, definitely rates are something um, to keep in, keep an eye on, but so far um, it's, it seems to be really on, on, uh, uh, on, on track for no big surprises there. Not good. You never know. It's even, it's interesting just to hear you, play back some of the developments over the last six to 12 or 18 months. I tend to forget just how many significant swings, market events, you know, uh, geopolitical events have taken place and are still you know, impacting the broader markets and economy. It is an interesting time to be in your seat. Um, that is for sure. And also to be a financial advisor. So you know, with that, you know, given that our, our audience here at wealthmanagement.com um, they're you know, working with high net worth individuals. They're rethinking some parts you know, of their fixed income allocations. Um, what are some parts of the fixed income market that you think our audience should be paying close attention to right now? Right, And particularly if a large portion of their client base consists of people who are not just trying to get to retirement, but through retirement. Yeah, absolutely. So I think particularly for for retirees, but really investors overall, um, fixed income is incredibly attractive at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it's even more attractive when you start looking at some elements of the market with credit risk, um, but not really necessarily moving into the very risky sectors such as high yield, which are appropriate for many, but for retirees... In particular, I think a sweet spot could be just to, to consider 
investment grade corporates, for instance, currently the yield for investment grade corporates looking at the IBOX dollar liquid investment grade index, which I should note all the most, uh, uh, the largest fixed income um, investment grade corporate ETF uh, tracks, the yield is 5.4% uh, versus if you look at the the overall market, including um, treasuries, corporates, quasi sobs is 4.7%. So you get a, a, a very um, solid, basically 70 basis point pickup in yield. So I think that's something investors could could really consider. And we could even go go further. And um, I think there's opportunity to focus towards the riskier end of the investment grade market, such as the the triple B um, segment, um, w which is yielding 5.8% at the moment. So you can really achieve another uh, 40, per, uh, 40 basis points without really taking on that much uh, greater credit exposure and staying really firmly in the investment grade space. Uh, yeah, I think, and just kind of sticking with that for a little bit, um, because I do want to talk about um, just all the packaging and delivery, you know, fixed income products in a moment, but I have to kind of build on your last point around you know, where there are you know, different types of opportunities. Obviously, you know, last year, we know the 60-40 portfolio offered very little protection, right? Um, and we've seen more advisors you know, this year than I, I can remember in my 20 plus years in the wealth management space, seriously exploring alternative investments and allocating you know, more of their clients' dollars to it than ever before. Um, it, starting with like 60-40 just in general, and one, I don't know if you have a view on it, um, but if you do, what's your view on the 40 in particular? And then two, when you look at the sub allocations within a fixed income portfolio, how should advisors be considering their clients' fixed income exposure at the moment? Yeah, so the 60-40 portfolio, I think does have a good, a good basis to follow. It's probably a little bit strict of a guideline, but I think yeah. the underlying principle of just being diversified across asset classes makes perfect sense. I, I will say that versus where we were a couple of years ago, the 60-40 portfolio now is probably more attractive than it's been in quite some time. And just as as evidence of that, if we look at the S&P 500 dividend yield, at current, it's around 1.7%, which is around 35 basis points higher than where it was two years ago. If you look at the yield on the IBOX dollar liquid investment grade index, today it's around 5.4%, which is basically double where it was two years ago. So the relative attractiveness in terms of income has really grown a lot more on the fixed income side of the equation. And what, what that means is that fixed income now works a lot harder for investors as well, because with that increased uh, income, it means that investors can do more to meet their liabilities um, however, do so by assuming less market volatility. Um, so really, investors can target higher expected returns with with less risk. And we see that play out on the individual level, but also um, in terms of how um, pension funds and others are thinking about uh, hitting their return objectives. Um, this is incredibly kind of important for them to think about in terms of where we are in the market today.
Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think the question is 60-40 debt is really just a provocative one, right? Um, and it can go in so many different directions. To me, it's less about the raw 60 versus 40, right? And it's about sort of the individual, not only the allocations or sub-allocations, but you touched on the liability-driven investment portion of it. It's really about the intent, right? How is the money invested, right? Um, and what is it intended to do? Um, and I think especially as we see our audience working with more and more individuals who are in retirement, not earning a, a steady you know, income the way they were during their sort of employed years, um, you need to get that much more out of your fixed income portfolio. So I appreciate you giving the color and context that you did there. And I also appreciate the nod to the institutional world that you gave, because I think there's a lot, even though they're very different worlds, retail and institutional, there's a lot that advisors can learn uh, from the institutions. And that actually leads me to my next question. Um, and when we were at the Wealth Management Edge Conference in May, and we were hosting Inside ETFs in particular, it was amazing to see how the evolution of the ETF industry has really just optimized access to the fixed income markets, right? Um, and a lot of that usage has been driven by institutional investors. Um, how do you think advisors will follow suit, whether it's in the products that they use or the strategies behind the application? Yeah, so it's uh, the the opportunity for advisors um, and retail is just massive when it comes to fixed income ETFs. I, I think the democratization that the ETF wrapper brings to fixed income is potentially even greater than it is for, for equities. Um, and that just really stems from the nature of the fixed income market. So if you think of fixed income, the market tends to be opaque, uh, also non-standardized in nature with each bond um, having different maturities, coupons, optionality, also different seniority types in terms of where bonds sit in issuers' uh, capital structure. And then, uh, uh, and, and really what fixed income indices and then fixed income ETFs on the back of that do is bring a measure of transparency and standardization to the market. Um, so you can now define these different segments and then also have a direct way of accessing key segments. And, and then we also know that the pricing in terms of bid offer spreads that retail investors face versus institutional investors is often very different. Um, however, fixed income ETFs really face more of that institutional pricing. So there's a real benefit for um, end retail investors who use fixed income ETFs in, ter in terms of uh, trade efficiency. And so, so they're also similar to institutional investors who have been and continue to adopt fixed income ETFs, there's immense operational and tax efficiencies. Um, so the ability to invest in potentially thousands of bonds in a single trade, if you think of what that would look like in terms of actually going into the market and buying all those individual bonds, it would be just a massive operational cost. And then on top of that, you have that difference in terms of, of pricing that that exists when you think of institutional versus retail as well. And then there's also the benefit of transparency and liquidity that comes from an ETF being on exchange. That's something that hadn't existed in, in fixed income before the fixed income ETF wrapper uh, came along. 
And then I think lastly, just the benefits of an indexing approach to investing um, is the fact that like other ETFs, fixed income ETFs tend to be inherently um, diversified, which is important when you consider that more than 90% of portfolio performance tends to stem from asset allocation decisions. And I, I think we really can see the the proof in, in the pudding. If you look at in 2022, um, net inflows to US bond ETFs uh, was 204 billion, which beat 2021's record um, even. And that was in a very challenging year. Mm -hmm. And and in the, the same year, um, the daily trading volumes in US bond ETFs was 24 billion a day, up 40% versus 2021. And this highlights an important feature of these instruments where in times of volatility and stress, you actually are able to transact in fixed income, which isn't always very true in individual bonds in terms of liquidity in similar times. And I'm glad that you pointed out the the flows. I mean, as, as remarkable as last year was, again, for better or for worse, um, to step back and look at you know, just how the ETF wrapper has you know, sort of really revolutionized investing in fixed income and how much adoption, whether it was at the institutional or the retail level there was last year is really, truly incredible. Um, and it wasn't as if it was it just concentrated at a moment in time last year. It was, to your point, you look at some of the daily trading volumes. Um, it was a steady drumbeat throughout the course of the year. Um, so thank you, Nick, for offering your thoughts on that. Before we let you run, and you've covered a lot of ground, so I give you credit for covering everything that, that's happened in the fixed income markets that's of importance over the last six to 12 months, and also giving a sneak peek of what advisors should be looking at over the next six to 12 months. But is there any final takeaway, any closing thought that you would leave with a financial advisor who's listening to this podcast, who's thinking about where there may be some opportunity in the fixed income markets in the remainder of 2023? Yeah. So I, I think um, diversification is is always key to, to how one should approach really any market, but fixed income um, certainly. But that being said, as noted, definitely see um, opportunity in terms of yield pickup within the, the corporate bond market. Um, and that's true for investment grade and even uh, high yield markets. And just to perhaps leave a bit of a message, if you look over the past 15 years in dollar high yield bonds, so the riskiest segment of the corporate bond market, the annual default rate was only 1.5% a year. And that's a period that includes the financial crisis, which in that year saw default rates rise to 4%. So if one were to take an approach using fixed income ETFs uh, for um, high yield even, but also in investment grade corporates, um, with that diversification benefit, it really does much to allay um, risks around a default. So I think uh, that would be really what I would want to leave, leave um, your listeners with, just that that history, the attractiveness of fixed income overall, but particularly assuming some modicum of, of credit risk. And yeah, the benefits of the ETF wrapper as a really a, a great way to access these, these markets in a trade efficient and transparent way. 
Appreciate that, Nick. And I appreciate all your thoughts here as you know, on the Wealth Management Edge podcast, we tend to look at our last episode, the future of wealth management and how the advisor client dynamic has changed and will change to spend some time with you talking about how the fixed income markets have evolved and will continue to evolve. Um, and also the different ways that advisors can access them is incredibly helpful and spot on for what we're trying to do here with the Wealth Management Edge podcast for our audience. So Nick, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Again, uh, Nick Godick, Head of Fixed, fixed Income Tradables at S&P Dow Jones Indices. And thank you to everybody for tuning in to this episode of the Wealth Management Edge podcast. I'm Mark Bruno. And on behalf of WealthManagement.com and the Wealth Management Edge team, thanks for listening. And we'll see you on the very next episode of the Wealth Management Edge podcast. iShares and S&P Dow Jones Indices are proud to support the Wealth Management Edge podcast and financial advisors. With more than 1,250 products worldwide, iShares is dedicated to empowering millions of people to make their money work for them. Visit www.ishares.com to learn more. S&P Dow Jones Indices is the largest global resource for essential index-based concepts, data, and research, and home to iconic financial market indicators such as the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average iShares and S&P Dow Jones Industries are unaffiliated entities.